This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. Turn on the Jets Podcast. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnTheJets.com. In today's episode, we're going to be joined by Joe Blewett, who breaks down a ton of film for us on our Turn on the Jets YouTube channel and across his own Twitter account. We're going to use most of this episode to talk about the New York Jets potentially transitioning from a 3-4 to a 4-3 with Greg Williams as their new defensive coordinator. We're also going to talk about some of the roster rankings that we did in last week's article. Uh, last week, we talked with Michael Nanya about them. Joe also contributed to that article. So we're going to talk about the placement of some of the defensive players and how we evaluated their 2018 season and how they could potentially fit into the 2019 overall unit. Before we jump into talking with Joe, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, hit it with a rating, hit it with a review. Uh, we're available on Spotify and Google Play. I'll make sure to tweet those links out ever since we made the transition to Overtime, they're still there. Uh, they're just slightly different URLs, so I'll make sure uh, to share those out as well. Um, and that's basically it. Uh, we're going to have a ton of content, obviously, throughout the offseason. There is no quiet time, so stay with us every day for different articles, uh, different podcasts on this feed, and different podcasts on the Play Like a Jet feed. All right, Joe, thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Um, we were just talking a little bit before, and you know that this is a really busy time of the off season. With now doing the whole review on the Gase offense, which I'm have like 60 plays, looking at Greg Williams' defense, looking at all of the draft prospects. I just did the five top outside linebackers getting into Quinn and Williams. So uh, it's a really fun time for me because I'm a big film guy and not having to watch terrible Jets football week after week after week is actually pretty fun for me. So uh, everything's really well. It is such a relief to not have to watch and cover these games. I don't think people realize that when you cover the team and they've been as bad as they've been for so long and you get into November and December with some of these meaningless games, it's it can be painful and it makes the offseason more enjoyable. So the big news coming out of this week, right out of the post-Gase decision, uh, is Greg Williams being hired to be the head coach of the defense, as Adam Gase put it. Now, we could debate the merits about being so blunt with that and saying that he will only be very siloed with his focus. Either way, this is going to be Greg Williams' unit. He has traditionally ran a 4-3, known for being very blitz-heavy, known for not being shy for using cover zero, leaving his cornerbacks on an island. Over the past three years, the defensive DVOAs for the units that he's coached have ranged from 12 to 15 to 16. That's across coaching Cleveland and the Rams. Prior to that, he had a little more success, had a few top 10 units for the Rams as well. He's previously coached Tremaine Johnson, who played his best football under him, although that was about five years ago. A lot of questions circulating right now on how certain players are going to fit in a new system, if the Jets do make a major transition, and how certain players are going to adjust to Williams' coaching style and personality, which is going to be entertaining no matter what you think of the overall hire. Before we dive into how this impacts certain players, or really doesn't impact certain players. Quickly, what is your what was your initial reaction to the decision to hire Williams as defensive coordinator, and what have you thought of the work he's done in, in recent years for Cleveland and the Rams? Uh, I was really happy with it, and obviously with Gates being so blunt, like you said before, um, whether you like it or not, about him you know, mainly focusing on 
Donald was on the offense. At least he admitted it, and we knew he wasn't a defensive guy, so you knew he was going to have to get a veteran defensive coordinator in here. Uh, Greg Williams was one of the top choices. I liked him much more than I liked the uh, possibility of Vance, of Vance Joseph. So really wanted Williams, really aggressive guy. And just overall from watching where the Jets were last year, where they allowed 441 points, uh, second highest in franchise history, 29th in points allowed, 25th in yards allowed, uh, the amount of just blown assignments, penalties, laziness on the defense, you're not going to see that anymore. Obviously, we've seen a bunch of gifs and videos of um, you know, Greg Williams, whether it be on Hard Knocks or on Twitter or whatever, um, you know, with him yelling at people and things like that. So guys are going to take accountability, and I think that's necessary for the Jets defense, who has way too many first-round uh, draft picks, you know, invested into it and a lot, way too much money to be as bad as they were last year. It's pretty, you know, pretty embarrassing where people were talking about it being a top five, top ten unit, which I didn't necessarily agree with, but to be, you know, in the bottom of the NFL, I didn't see either. I thought they were going to be somewhere in the middle of the pack and they weren't even close to that. So uh, I, I like to hire He's been a defensive coordinator for a while. He did a really good job with the with the Browns at the beginning of the year. They were leading the NFL in forced turnovers. Once he became the interim head coach, they dipped a little bit. I'm not sure about that if that's about his responsibilities and he had to, you know, delegate more of the responsibility to the defensive coordinator, whoever that was for the Browns. I don't know his name. Um, but overall there's a reason why he's been a defensive coordinator for so long and there's a reason why you see his success um Rates with defenses that one that he's taking over, and two, uh, Nanya, you know the stats guy. We always, I always just call him our stats guy. Um, great kid. He put out a bunch of stats of, of you know quarterbacks' average rankings or ratings, and then when they play Greg Williams' defense, mostly all the quarterbacks have had dips in ratings against Greg uh, Greg Williams. So um, I'm a fan of the hire, and I think he's really going to raise the intensity of the defense. And I think this is going to be hopefully more of a middle of the pack, maybe maybe top ten unit instead of being in the bottom of the NFL like they were last year. Looking at some of the biggest names on the Jets' defense, I think we'll agree that Jamal Adams is the kind of guy who could flourish in any system, and we think his personality will mesh up well with Williams. Uh, he's the kind of guy who could bounce between free safety, strong safety, slot corner, mm-hmm. uh, play off the edge. He could move around, and I think he will be fine. I think there's more questions about a Leonard Williams and a Darren Lee. Now, Leonard Williams, I would say, has been a disappointment through four years. Uh, not really a high-impact player, someone who I feel has been pretty replaceable. I mean, if you told me that the Jets just swapped in Nathan Shepard for him last year, Nathan Shepard was pretty blah himself. I mean, I don't know if there's a massive drop-off on the Jets' defense. Maybe there's a little bit, but basically he hasn't lived up to the billing of being the sixth overall pick in the draft. Darren Lee has definitely gotten better each passing year, uh, but is still not... I don't know. You look at the impact of Dallas's inside linebackers with the guys that they've taken in the first and second round. He's not that mm-hmm. kind of guy yet. Uh, how are Williams and Lee going to be impacted by this transition? And do you think it increases or decreases the likelihood of a guy like Williams being traded, which is something that's starting to be discussed more seriously around people who cover this team? Yeah, I think that you mentioned two guys who are actually going to flourish more in the system. I think Leo is good in a 3-4 or a 4-3, but I think his stats will top a little bit more in a 4-3 because obviously in a 3-4, um, for the most part, in the very basic, you know, um, kind of the basic 3-4 defense, you're, you're two-gapping. You're not rushing the pass. You're not penetrating gaps. You're trying to hold, let's say, the A and the B gap or the or the B and the C gap, where in a 4-3, you have to penetrate one gap, which leads to more tackles for loss. It leads to more sacks. Um, so I think his stats will definitely jump up and he'll get quite a few more sacks than he did in the last couple of years. 
so I think it would help him. And with with a trade, just because of how effective he would be in both systems, because he is super athletic, so he can play a three tech and, and a four three. I think he'd be fine in that role. I don't think it really changes from where it would be if the Jets were in a three four or four three. And let's not just act like the Jets going to a four three is like okay, well now they're they were in a three four last year. Not every single rep they're going to be in a four three this year. Um, one defense is mixed plenty, as you know, and everybody who listens to this show um, knows that defense is mixed plenty. But their base is going to be a four three. I think they're going to slowly transition into that. I don't think there's enough force on players who can't do it. But I can you'll you'll see guys like let's say a you know, uh, Demarcus Lawrence targeted more in free agency instead of a D four because a D four is more of a three four outside linebacker where Demarcus Lawrence is that four three end you need. So, but you'll see them slowly transition to it, but I don't think it's going to happen right away. Um, so I don't really think Leo has a it, it's in a different effect from him. And for Lee, it's it's clearly an upgrade for him. I think this is the guy who's going to be upgraded the most in the system because in a four three. You have four down uh, defensive linemen, which gives the linebackers more uh, more room to to roam because they just they have to. Uh, in a fourth in a four three, you do the linebackers have more a much more responsibility in coverages, have to cover more ground, uh, and in both the pass game and the run game. And two with a four three, linebackers are kept clean. If you just think about it, just by analytically, you know, you have three down guys, there's five linemen, those linemen are going to get to the second level more um, versus a 4-3 we have four down linemen, so the linebackers are kept cleaner, and if anything, Lee is going to be successful in the system where he has more ground to cover and he's kept clean because he's not a big guy who's going to take on uh, blocks head-on like a guy like Avery Williamson will, so I think Lee will flourish, and I think Leo, from a fan's perspective, with the stats popping out, um, he'll flourish as well, so I think those are probably the two guys who, who will uh, seeing uptick in, in production and kind of their, the fans' opinion, you know, of them in the transition to the four three. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. So, looking at the front seven, let's. Who do we see projecting out to be the Sam and the Will uh, playing alongside Lee at that second level? And then, who are some guys who have been key? players in that front seven who may have their role marginalized a little bit. I think of guys like Henry Anderson and Jordan Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Are they going to be as productive uh, as they were in a 3-4? Can they still transition? Does this make it unlikely for the Jets to bring back Henry Anderson? Because I think part of the reason the Colts traded him was because they were transitioning to a 4-3. How would you build based on what they currently have? What would the Jets' front seven look like in a 4-3? Yeah, that's that's the rough part. That's why it's so rough to transition from a from a four three to a three four, three four to a four three in just one year. Uh in terms of the linebackers, I think I think Lee is your is going to be the, the weak um outside linebacker in a four three. I think he fits that very, very well. Uh like I said, he's gonna be in coverage a lot. He's gonna have a lot of room to um to roam coming off the edges and things like that. So he's gonna be fine there. The problem with the the four three um, is Williamson because especially in Greg Williams 4-3 where it's Tampa 2 heavy where Tampa 2 instead of dropping back into an intermediate zone you're almost you're almost dropping back as far as a safety would in that Tampa 2 defense which the Browns run a lot and Greg Williams have run a lot so uh, Avery Williamson is not a fit in this defense so I, I think Lee you're going to see him some at weak and some at Mike where he can drop into that 
um, Tampa two zone. So that's a, that's a worry for me with the linebackers and even with the the, the outside linebacker, the, the Sam. I don't know who fits there right now, um, really at all. You could put Avery Williamson there in the in the run game, and he could he could set that edge. He's a really strong dude, plays a really good leverage, really good hands, and he's and he's powerful. Um, but in terms of a pass rusher as as that Sam, which in, in a four three, that Sam is going to either play on the line or, or off the ball um, almost just as much. So they kind of have to be able to stand up and to be able to rush the passer, which I think. You know, like I said, Avery Williamson can play in the run game as the Sam, but in the pass game, uh, he's not a guy who's going to rush off the edge. He doesn't have that bend. He doesn't have that, that you know, that necessary athleticism to do that. So the Jets really don't have a Sam. Uh, Jordan Jenkins is not a stand-up, you know, outside linebacker. That's just not going to work um, <clears throat> for him as well. And Jenkins does a four-three end. He's not a 4-3 end either because they're the primary pass rusher, uh, which he wasn't a 3-4 as well. But now his hands are going to be in the dirt much more. And instead of being, you know, lined up as a, as a 6 or a 7 or a 9, um, where he has some, you know, some room to, to run, um, he's going to be hand in the dirt, you know, 5 tech with chip blocks coming from tight ends. And he's going to have to beat, you know, those, those tackles with a, with a harder edge. Um, he he kind of requires more of a soft edge who can build up that power um, and convert speed into power. Where if he has where he, if he has a hard edge, he's going to have to beat with technique and, and athleticism. So he doesn't fit there. Uh, Henry Anderson was traded from the Colts because he didn't fit in a four three. He's he's too small to play on the interior, but he's not athletic enough to get sacks uh, as a four three end. At least in my opinion, you could see some, but I don't think he's an ideal fit. Uh, Mike Pennell, I could see him. And like a four-three over overlook where he's where he's clogging both of the a gaps, but as a four-three defensive tackle as a three-tech, uh, one who's going to penetrate and rush the passer. He obviously doesn't fit as that. He's like he's like seven hundred pounds. Um, McClendon is kind of a guy like Leo, where he's he's what thirty-four years old or thirty-three years old. So I think they're they're going to want to get rid of him anyway. I think he's a guy who can play in both because I think he has some at underrated athleticism so he'd probably be your defensive tackle along with um leo but in terms of like the holes that they have um i think you don't you don't have either of the four three defensive ends and the sam is a huge question along with the the mike linebacker being uh, avery williamson who will be fine in a four three in the run game um he, he has some athleticism um, and it'll be kept cleaner, so he could he could penetrate the backfield and things like that but <clears throat> when you're going to ask him to cover more and to drop back in a Tampa 2 zone, he just doesn't have the necessary athleticism uh, to drop back in coverage and be able to do that, or just the awareness in coverage. So there's three or four holes with like another two, three question marks going into a 4-3. So it's going to be interesting to see the, the offseason and how the Jets start targeting guys. Um, you know, and you'll notice if they start going after guys like Grady Jarrett or DeMarcus Lawrence, who anybody really go after, um, or Frank Clark or Anthony Barr, instead of guys like D Ford, you're going to know that they're going to be trying to transition to four three quick. So um, it's definitely going to be an interesting offseason. But there's a bunch of question marks going into that into that four three. That's for sure. It's not just the like, people just think, okay, well three four or four three. If they're a good player, they can just transition. It, it does not work like that. It's just the NFL is too hard with too many technical things to to be able to do that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see from a fan perspective and from people around the team. Because if you look at guys like three come to mind for me, Jenkins, Anderson, and Williamson. And 
at the end of mm-hmm. last year, you would have said those were three of Mike McCadden's better moves. You know, he moved on from Demario Davis, yep. who's really flourishing in New Orleans. That has not gotten much pressure because Williamson was good this year for the good for the value they signed him for. Henry Anderson for a seventh round pick was productive, and Jordan Jenkins, unlike some of the other mid round picks, has been good value for a third rounder. But now you have those three guys who are regularly used as feathers in the cap of the front office who really might not fit. And if you are kind of leaning in with this transition, now you have more anticipated holes than you might have thought you would in the front seven. Where I, where my mind jumped to being the biggest problem, and I feel like, look, I'm a big believer the Jets need to go over the top when it comes to fixing their offense this offseason. It's an offensive league. They have so much work to do there, both from a skill position and an offensive line standpoint. That needs to be the top priority. But what seems to keep falling through the cracks is cornerback. And in Greg Williams' scheme, you need cornerbacks who could hold up being in man coverage, being on an island. I know he always gets made fun of for having the safety 25 yards off the ball. Maybe that ends up being Marcus May. Maybe he ends up doesn't doing that at all. We know what the Jets have at safety, and I'd love to see more depth there with May coming off an injury. But I look at corner. Mm -hmm. Their top three corners are either 29 or 30 years old. Claiborne and Screen are free agents and are not very good to begin with. Tremaine Johnson will be here because of his contract, and there's a lot of, well, Johnson was amazing under Williams. This is great for him. Johnson was great under Williams when he was 24. He's 29 now. That's very old in cornerback age, and I don't feel good leaving Tremaine Johnson regularly one-on-one against top-flight receivers. Uh, I don't know if he has that type of game anymore, and that's nothing to do with him. It's just hard being an older cornerback in the NFL. There's also not a lot of depth behind those guys. Daryl Roberts, I think, is a good, useful backup. I don't know if you want to start him for 16 games. I think we all like Derek Jones, but is he ready to step in and start 16 games? Parry Nickerson, from what we saw last year, can he really be your slot corner? Uh, I don't know. That feels like a problematic situation, and it's not exactly a loaded free agent market at the cornerback position. So when you look at that secondary, particularly a corner, how do you attack rolling out something that could play in Williams' scheme next year? Yeah, it's going to be difficult, and especially with transition to a, from a you know from a three four to a four three with all the holes we just talked about in the front seven. <clears throat> Looking at the secondary as well, obviously you have you have the two safeties. Uh, I also think they need to upgrade the third safety. You don't want Daryl Roberts back there or Terrence Brooks because I think with that Tampa two heavy scheme along with the with the cover six and trap defenses and then the cover zero as you said with the blitz the cover one that's going to happen as well. Um, the Jets are going to need a third safety as well because Jamal Adams is going to be playing in hook the seam zones and hook the curl zones a lot and you know basically as a linebacker or a slot corner um, so you're going to want two guys to be able to drop back maybe that's Tyron Matthew we don't really know but I think that's a position in the secondary you really have to look at upgrading especially in this type of scheme because you know Jamal Adams can drop back into coverage in a deep one and a half is that his strong suit not necessarily. I think he's 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 decent in coverage, but there are definitely some holes there. And I saw that in film, you know, plenty this year. We definitely want him more in the box where he can read and react and and attack guys with just that just that hair on fire mentality that he has. Um, so that's one hole that they have. And then with the with the corners, I think this is the most underrated or overlooked you know, problem they have going into this year because yeah, you have Tremaine Johnson who was effective in, you know, Greg Williams scheme because they, they do run a lot of trap defenses where he's going to be able to use his smarts to jump routes where, you know, in a, in a really simple trap defense on like cover six trap defense, he's going to read the two to one. If that two cuts out on an out route or corner route, he's going to be able to jump that. The, the, the safety's going to play over top. So he's able to use his smart pass off things and, and, and jump passes, which is good. And that's why he had so much more interceptions because they ran more trap defenses than the Jets ran this year. So that's a positive for him. Um, 
and hopefully the blitzing is a little bit more of a positive for him as well because he's not a guy who can keep up with 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 receivers at, the, at you know forever. Um, so if they get there fast, he only has to cover for three four seconds instead of five six seconds like he did with the Jets, where um, they did blitz, but it just lost. And how how many times is Tom Brady just standing there with a clean pocket and you just get to pick apart the Jets' zone defenses? So um, it, it's kind of good and bad for him. But then you look at Claiborne. Is he going to get resigned? I don't know. Um, is Buster Sweeney resigned? Probably not. I would I would hope not. Uh, you look at Perry Nickerson, and I know he had a lot of hype because Pro Football Focus put out whatever number they did, but he was not good this year when he came in. He made a play here and there, but overall you cannot trust him as your slot corner. There's no way right now. Derek Jones made a few nice plays in camp just like Chad Hansen did, and where's Chad Hansen right now? Uh, even though he did, he had a decent game against against the Patriots, but that's a way too small of a sample size. Daryl Roberts, like you said, he's a good you know fourth, fifth, sh- sixth string guy, but do you want him playing over 50% of the snaps or even more than that? Um, no, definitely not. So you're looking at probably uh, at least two new corners, hopefully. Uh, you know, in a perfect world, you're looking at a new guy from Claiborne. You're looking at a new slot corner. You're looking at another another safety, which is a primary need in, the, in this defense that they're going to run. So you're looking at three starters, and that's not even counting the front seven. That's that's just the the back four players, um, back th- you know four or five, whatever you want to call it, nickel. And then we haven't addressed offense yet. You look at the offensive line. You look at more skill positions for Donald. So there's a lot of holes on the Jets roster that people don't realize. And this is not even – I haven't said yet that the Jets only have 39 players going uh, – or under contract in two, going into 2019, which is the lowest in the NFL. Um, so, yeah, they have $100 million, but they also need 14 new guys on the roster. People can say, oh, yeah, well, you know, cut some guys and make more room, but it's obviously more advantageous to have, you know, 45, you know, 48 players under contract going into um, next season so you can cut even, and make even more room. So they don't have as much room to operate as people think they do. That's not accounting the, the money that the draft is going to cost. So they have a good chunk of change, but they don't have, it's not like historically amount of, 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 uh, of money because, like I said, there's so many players they need to get, and with so many holes, it's, it, you can't just fill in superstars with all these, all these holes. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I just think people are setting themselves up to be somewhat disappointed by free agency. Uh, and this is not just specific to the Jets. It should be specific to any team with a ton of cap space. First off, everybody has cap space and flexibility now. Everyone signs everyone to two-year mm-hmm. contracts. The NFL makes the number higher every year. Teams have the means to keep their best talent. So the big names that are at the top of all these lists very rarely hit the market. And I think everyone forgets... The Jets had $100 million in cap space last year, and their free agency hall was Tremaine Johnson, Avery Williamson, um, Spencer Long, Isaiah Crowell, Terrell Pryor were like the five big-name guys, and there were a few other pieces uh, that were cheap that actually ended up being really good value, the Andre Roberts, Jason Myers, Brandon Copeland, guys like that. But that that was it. It wasn't like... I know at the beginning of last year, everyone was saying uh, Trey Burton and Allen Robinson and uh, EJ Gaines, and we're going to sign two or three corners to go with Tremaine Johnson. Just like this year, I think everyone's, well, we're going to do, we're going to get Matt Paradis, we're going to get Roger Saffel, we're going to get Le'Veon Bell, we're going to get D Ford, we're going to, you don't get all these guys because you're competing with other teams, and a lot of these pass rushers in particular, I don't think are going to hit the market. I would not expect Mm -hmm. Demarcus Lawrence, D Ford, Jadavion Clowney, 
uh, to hit the market, you're likely picking between uh, Dante Fowler, who's pretty overrated, I would say, based on what we've seen from a production standpoint. Trey Flowers, if he leaves New England, that'd be a great target, but is New England actually going to let him walk? Uh, and then someone like Ezekiel Ansa is a little older and has been banged up in the past few years. So that market kind of dries up, uh, or you're trying to sell yourself on a guy like a Shane Ray and Shaq Barrett, who don't really have the production to back up the hype. They basically produced it like a Brandon Copeland-type level the past few years. And then at corner... There's really not a lot of overly exciting names. You have like Jason Verrett and Bradley Roby, uh, Justin Coleman, uh, Bryce Callahan of the Bears would have been a great one, but he's coming off a major injury just like Matt Paradis is now. So uh, that's why I'm not squeamish about taking that big swing at Le'Veon Bell. I think, yes, you don't have to convince me that running backs generally don't matter. No one believes that more than I do. But the Jets are in such a unique situation with – how with the the flexibility that they do have, their lack of offensive talent, and I, I just where is it? Where is this money going towards? Uh, and how rare is it for a guy with his production to hit free agency? But defensively, the transition in schemes I think is going to make this unit a little more of a work in progress. And I think they finished somewhere in the low twenties and high twenties in DVOA this year. I think it was twenty two or twenty three. Uh, in my mind, I think your hope with Williams realistically is that this could get up to being a top 15 unit at least. Mm-hmm. But if you don't move the ball forward offensively, I don't know how much of an ultimate difference that's going to make on, on your win and loss total. I think the Jets are going to regress to the mean in a positive way uh, by being better in close games. And uh, I think they're going to be a 7-8 to eight win team. Whether they get more than that is going to depend on how they address talent. Um, when you look at around this entire roster. We've talked a lot about the defense. Who are some of the names that maybe people aren't talking about a lot that you would target in free agency? And when you look at that NFL draft, we all talk about trading back. It's much easier said than done. Who are some names that you think are going to be in consideration with the third overall pick? So basically, who are some of these headline mm-hmm. additions going to be this year? Yes, yeah, so that was a lot. Um, and the fact that you said, you know, top five names and Terrell Pryor is one of them says all you need to know about having all that money in free agency. Uh, and even guys like Ray and Barrett are talking about they're not necessarily fit to that 4-3 if the Jets do want to transition to that. So it kind of drives up the market even more. Um, Guys like Grady Jarrett, is he gonna is he gonna be in, uh, a free agent? Are the Falcons really dumb enough to let him go? I, I probably not. Demarcus Lawrence, you're right. He's probably not gonna hit free agency. He's been he's one been one of the you know top getting or top sack getters in the NFL the last couple of years. I think the Cowboys are pretty stupid to let him go. Clowney, probably not. I think the names you mentioned, <clears throat> you know, Flowers, maybe Barr, because they have so much talent at front seven. Maybe they don't they don't resign him. Would be my top like two targets. Flowers being the four three end and and Barr being, you know, uh, that Sam that that four three strong side outside linebacker. Uh, Ansa, he's had injury problems. He's, what, 31, 32 now. If, unless they got him for a bargain, which I doubt because people are always overpaid in free agency, I guess, I guess if they got a good price, I would, I would look to sign him. D Ford, even if he did hit, if D Ford is not is not a fit in a in a four three, he's he's a three four outside linebacker, and that's really all he could be. Um, so are you going to overpay to fit a a you know a square peg in a round hole? I don't think that's smart. Um, and you're talking about guys like Saffold and Paradis. 
and listen, people are hyping them up, but they're they're 31, 32 years old, so they're older, and they're going to get they're going to get overpaid because they're the top line in the market. So, do you want to overpay for guys um, who are older? And the answer to that is probably yes, in in the long run, because you need to help Sam Darnold, and we're talking about this defense, and they do need a lot of. Um, they have a lot of holes to fill, but I think any smart Jets fan is going to take offensive talent over defensive talent to free agency because the most important thing, bar none, is Sam Darnold. Um, and with Le'Veon Bell, it's especially in this system where the there's so much versatility, um, both in the run game. Uh, Gase likes to flex his, his his running backs out wide, get them a lot of bubble screens, smoke screens, things like that. They're really really involved in the passing game. Le'Veon Bell will be an absolutely perfect fit, so I'm fine with you know paying him too because, like you said, Joe, people talk about free agency like it's like Madden and they can force they can force signings on people, which they can't. They would be if they if they walked away from free agency with one of Flowers, Clark, or or Barr, and then like Paris. That's like a really good free agency, like in terms of top names. So don't get too hyped up on free agency um, because most uh, most of the names available, they're going to be available one because they want too much money, two because they have injury problems, or three they're old. That's usually the reason. So you have to it, it's buyers beware in free agency for the most part. Uh, and even with Le'Veon Bell, he's a, he's a great he's a great uh, player, but you still have to worry a little bit about his mentality, how much he's going to be committed after he gets money and things like that. So would it be a perfect signing? No, but would I still do it? Hell yes. So uh, free agency is going to be interesting. And in terms of realistic targets at, at three. I think there's really, I think there's five blue chip guys, and I've talked. I, I watched the five outside linebackers. I just started watching the defensive um, tackles with, um, you know, Ed Oliver and with Quinn and Williams. And I think there's like five blue chip guys. That being Quinn and Williams, Ed Oliver, uh, Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, and um, and wow, I'm blanking out the other, the other Williams name. Uh, oh, Jonah Williams. Sorry, too many Williams. So. I think those are the five guys who are in, they're in, a, they're in a target and who are realistic uh, realistic options. Um, now people might talk about defensive tackle, and that would be crazy. And I wouldn't love getting defensive tackle at that spot. Um, but if Bosa's gone, which most people are assuming he's number one, uh, let's say Josh Allen falls, I don't think he's a four three defensive end. I don't think he can fit there. I don't think it's, it's worth taking a guy that high. Like again. To, to put a, a square peg in a round hole. So he, I, don't, I don't know if he's a realistic option there. Um, so is it Quinn Williams? Is it Jonah Williams? Is it Ed Oliver? And people might get mad about the whole interior defensive lineman thing again, but in a 4-3, if they had Leonard Williams and Ed Oliver and, or Ed Oliver and or, and or um, you know, Quinn Williams, that's a really, really dynamic pair in the inside, and I'm taking interior rush over exterior rush. I think it just blows up that pocket, and especially when you have a quarterback like Brady who, you know, is great at stepping up in the pocket or, you know, guys like Peyton Manning who are great at navigating the pocket. It's easy to step up and navigate that, but if you don't have athleticism um, and there's interior pressure, you're pretty much screwed, and even if you do have, have the athleticism, you're cutting off half of the field when you're scrambling out to left to right unless you're going to make a crazy throw like Patrick Mahomes. There's not many Patrick Mahomes in the league as we know so uh, I wouldn't be crazy mad with guys like that in, you know in the in the first round because you're going to take the, the best player available but um, overall I'm hoping that a guy like you know uh, a Bosa falls which is kind of unrealistic but you're hoping that guy you know teams like the Giants and the Jags maybe trade up for quarterbacks and somehow he falls which like I said I doubt um, or a guy like Jonah Williams because 
maybe I do like players. If I had to grade them on a on a scale from one to ten, maybe Quinn Williams and Ed Oliver are guys who get tens, and maybe uh, Jonah Williams is a nine. But if that's going to be our new left tackle, new right tackle, whatever you want to do with him, you know, maybe right tackle first year, move over to left tackle, and Beecham's gone, whatever you want to do. Um, my main focus is helping Sam Donald this year for many for obvious reasons. The kid's going to be 21, 22 years old. Uh, he was great last year uh, at the end of the year. That what he showed in that Texans game, the Packers game, the end of the Buffalo Bills game is really all I needed to see. Uh, even throughout the year before his injury, there was there's quite a few good games, um, especially when you consider the talent around the kid. I'm not going to get too much into Sam Donald, but when you heard me, you know talk about the Jets defense, they did not help him at all in situations they couldn't be more conservative. The run game was obviously terrible. Uh, the pass blocking was terrible. The receivers are okay, but he doesn't have a Mike Evans on the squad, so he did not get help from any aspect in his team. That's not even counting penalties, undisciplined, um, play, laziness. It's just, it just a, a crap fest for Sam Donald. So what I want to do is help him, um, and we're going to see how they do it for agency. It's going to be really, really interesting. All right, final question before we let you go, and we can hit this one pretty quick. We know the Jets need to work on their offensive line and need to revamp it. You can't fix it all in one all-offseason, as I'm trying to remind people, but as it stands now, they closed last season roughly. We know we had some injuries, but roughly they're starting five last year with Spencer Long, Brian Winters, James Carpenter, Brandon Shell, and Kelvin Beecham. Now, Carpenter's a free agent. He's unlikely to be back. Shell will be coming off a pretty serious injury. Beecham has been pretty steady. Winters has struggled since signing a new contract. Um, and Spencer Long was a disaster at center, was a little better at guard, but not as much better as I think some people are making it out to be. What is the order of replacing people in urgency? How would you rank it one through five in terms of who needs to be replaced at what position uh, this offseason? Yeah, just in terms of the offensive line, um, the offensive line, obviously left guard is probably number one because they they quite literally do not have a left guard. That's that's easy. Um, Number two is center. Um, because Spencer Long was just absolutely, he was miserable there uh, for the entire season. And left guard, was he better? Maybe a, a slight tick better because he got to pull more and then get to use something that aggressive more, uh, aggressive this morning. You're seeing Pancake, or Pancake like, a couple more guys. And just the fact of him not being on the broadcast, uh, throwing out bad snaps over Sam Darnold's head, uh, helps him a little bit. But is he good enough to be a left guard or a starting left guard on my team? No. So I'm going to put that number two. Number three is probably, it's probably right right guard um winters was really bad this year as well he didn't really do anything well and then you probably have i would say left tackle four just because of age uh and then right tackle five but i don't feel comfortable with any of those guys uh beecham's below average uh he's okay in pass protection even though he can't handle a bull rush to save his life and he has really short arms to to prevent long arms and certain moves that guys with long arms move, uh, use. So he's not a great pass protector, or, or pass protector. He's okay. Terrible in the run game. And kind of the same thing with, with Shell. Uh, he's okay pass protector. Uh, struggles with bull rush as well. Uh, we see him get abused by Wick many times, you know, last season, even sometimes this season. Uh, and he can't move anybody in the run game. So you have no offensive lineman who I call average. And I'm not just trying to be negative. That's the truth. But if I had to say one through five, I would say, you know, in order from the number one knee, it's probably left guard, center, right guard, uh, left tackle, right tackle, um, with none of those being, you know, like, get, uh, none of those positions uh, get a thumbs up from me. So do they realistically you know, replace all those guys? No, but if they get Saffold and Paradis in and they have a new left guard, uh, you know, center, that's that's a 
that's a step up, and obviously the Jets are they need to to address the offensive line in the draft as well. Whether that be spending the first pick on Jordan Williams, or maybe they trade back um, and get a Yannick Juice or whoever it may be, um, or spend two third rounders on offensive linemen, they need to help Donald. There's just there's no doubt about it. He he can't not have a run game, and as we know, last season he threw um, more third and or third and ten plus and fourth and ten plus passes in the NFL. Uh, you know, which is just obviously a horrible position for a young quarterback to be in because the defense doesn't have to guard against much. So um, the offensive line, it, it all needs to be replaced as a realistic in one offseason, maybe even two offseasons, probably not. But they need to start this season chipping away at that problem. All right, Joe Blewett, thank you for joining us. Everyone give him a follow on Twitter, at JoeRB31. He'll be breaking down film all offseason on Adam Gase's offense, Greg Williams' defense, draft prospects, free agents, anything you could think of. Uh, so make sure to give him a follow. We'll be back next Thursday with a new episode featuring, featuring Evan Silva of Roto World, and we'll keep rolling along this offseason. Thank you, everybody, for listening.